Consummate Athlete seeks health, community, and adventure through movement. And here on the podcast, longtime endurance coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford and author and cycling coach Molly Herford are helping you lead your best active, adventurous life. Every week, we talk with professional athletes, health and fitness experts, and of course, real-life consummate athletes. We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. We are here on a very blustery, wintry day. I feel like this might be the official, like, winter is here. It, it is coming, yeah, for sure. And we, we just had an episode go out and a post, actually. This was a combo on Friday about cross-training and why you should do it. There was 10 reasons. Uh, possible uh, 11th reason is going to be added, though, I think, but... So don't, you, don't you're going to want to check back for that. For they sure. should. Yeah, it's, in a, it's like it's a live post as most of our posts are. Mm-hmm. In yeah, flux, yeah so no, like there's it. been some good discussions around it, actually. Some some good jokes as well. Some gifts. But uh, yeah, that post went over well. People seem excited about cross training, but also a little bit of discussion about, you know, why you need to do it. And that was really the heart of the post. Yeah, no, it's been cool seeing people chatting about it on Instagram, talking about what their favorite uh, forms of cross training are. Uh, a couple of people who who feel seen, people who you know might normally get made fun of for their shift over to cross right. training. And then there's certainly like. the the esports group as well. There's a few people who, you know talking about how you know indoor training and stuff. And then it got me thinking about like you know do you actually need to ride a bike to to do esports to do cycling indoors and certainly race if that's your your main pursuit. That's great. But then the question is, do you actually need to ride outside, right? So I'm going to ponder this one. I think this will be an upcoming post. We'll maybe get someone like Jim Rutberg, uh, who just wrote the book with Joe Friel on... Uh, Indoor training. Yes. I'm trying to remember the name of the book. Ride Inside, I think. Yeah. Uh, which was a good episode with Joe. It was great to have him on. So if you're curious about riding inside, that's a, another episode to, to check about. What else did we have uh, on the post? This is the season the season of gift guides molly's favorite of the seasons it really is i guess only second to the new year's resolution season it's true that's i really right. like this time of year yeah it's uh, like wedding crashing season but uh, better for you yeah pretty much yeah uh yeah can't no, go to weddings anymore anyhow no. so yeah it's, it's all about gift guides yeah we've had a lot of good gift guides i'm pretty excited the one uh that just went up uh the most recent one is our uh work from home gift guide so if you know someone who's sort of recently transitioned to this whole work from home thing probably you probably know at least one yeah yeah some of the the things that i find really useful for sort of that healthier remote workspace are That's in right. that list yeah you've been doing this a long time a long time yeah, so I'm pretty psyched about that one. I also so have what what type of things? What what could someone expect in a gift guide about working at home? Oh man, the ultimate like, I have this genius coffee setup. There's like this amazing little cup warmer that you can put on your desk that keeps your coffee warm the whole day, so you're actually right. like keep drinking throughout the day instead of what you know I normally would do, which is That's right leave leave cold things of tea around the house many cups of tea yes. around the house without actually drinking them so it looks like i'm hydrating but really i have not actually had a sip and very good yeah very good but we also had what was there was like a mountain biking what was the one that went up last week we talked about this and we now i'm a, blanking yeah we have one for cyclists uh and then my my personal favorite the cozy gift guide so that was for, the one right with the book recommendations yes. yes for athletes who are just feeling you know the need for a little little more coziness this winter it's been a rough season for everybody so you know you might be feeling more curling up next to the fire rather than you know giving out gifts for 
you know, events or races or anything like that. So very good. And who do we have today? We have another, I think a good episode, maybe one that make people think also talks a bit about cross training. Yeah, I'm super excited about this. So we have Ebony Roberts. She's the managing editor at 57 hours. Uh, we will talk about what 57 hours is, but basically it's a, it's kind of a trail guide network or guiding network. So, you know, if you want to go backcountry skiing in Austria or, um, I don't know, cliff diving in Mexico or, you know, just kind of all of these different adventures all over the world, including in like cities. So if you want to go surfing in New York city, uh, there are guides for that and you can kind of find the hookups over at 57 hours. Okay. So it's sort of like an Airbnb for guides almost or something. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Uh, which I think is super cool. And we sort of talk about the, the ins and outs of both trying new sports on your own and then maybe like why it, when it's worth, you know, maybe getting a little bit of uh, expert help for the first time out. Sure. Uh, you know, backcountry skiing being a really good example. They actually have been doing a lot of webinars, even free webinars about sort of safety stuff around things like backcountry skiing. Uh, why you can't just go off into the wild by yourself if you've never skied before. Well, and she's based in Squamish, right? So in BC, they certainly have avalanches and different things like this where there's a whole other, it's not even the sport that you're getting. It's like all these other related skills and uh, I guess abilities that you need to have before yeah. you can even go and do it in, well, some, exactly. in some places at least. Right. Well, and we have a friend who actually kind of inspired this podcast, who is one of the people who would be out rescuing the, the people doing some right. of that backcountry yeah. skiing out there. Yeah. You want to be responsible with that. Right. And, uh, yeah, especially when you want to start pushing limits out there. But we talked a bit about, it. I took wilderness first aid this year. Uh, that was something I had wanted to take for a long time. And, their definition of being like out there or like wilderness, like a wilderness rescue, a wilderness first aid situation was like 45 minutes to the hospital. So like not even just for the ambulance to get there, but to get you into the hospital. So a lot of cities even, right? Yeah, um, exactly. You could mountain biking in Toronto and, you know, it could be... Technically wilderness, yeah. Depending on how you have to get out, right? And where they have to get you from. Yeah, so that was a super cool conversation. She's a really avid hiker. She does a bunch of other sports as well, but hiking is sort of her her bread and butter. So we talk all about like hiking boots versus sneakers. Which oh, the I, great debate! It was fascinating. We talked about like how to break in hiking boots and you know what to look for when you're thinking about like getting new hiking gear and stuff. And it was right. actually a really cool. Discussion. I've always been resistant because of that. I feel like anyone you talk to with hiking boots, they're, they're for some reason they're always new and they're always getting blisters. Yeah, exactly. So it was cool. We, we haven't really had someone who is that into the more like typical side of hiking right. on the podcast before. Uh, so yeah. it, was, it was really interesting to kind of hear that side of things. Okay. Um, and then, you know, this topic is super interesting and super important to me. We also talked about 57 Hours had done this survey uh, that showed that 91% of people, uh, so trail guides and people using the trails, had at some point in time come across a trail name that was either racist or sexist. And this has been kind of coming up a lot this summer. Uh, trails are getting renamed. It's caused a bit of controversy, I think. I'm pretty happy that most of it is is positive on the side of change, um, but we talk about you know how that how that came to be and why it's being talked about now, and also just what you can do if you know a trail near you has a name that you find offensive. Like what what are your steps to reaching out, and you know how do you do it in a way that's gonna start a good conversation, not just you know 
end with everyone just screaming at each other, which is probably going to happen anyway. But yeah, and I think you guys go through a few of the scenarios, right? Because it might be not obvious to someone who's, you know, been a trail builder and it's always been the name of the trail um, why it is. But you talk about, you know, someone's daughter might be out riding for the first time or, you know, we're trying to be more inclusive with cycling. Yeah. Uh, and and you actually... could see how some of these names might be uh misleading not misleading but like offensive to to someone right yeah and what i actually hadn't thought about is it also keeps some people from either getting into getting into sport in general because you know they're looking at a trail map or something and they're like wow this sport is clearly not for me because this is the language that they're using right or you have uh, what came up a lot was there are trail guides who won't tell the people that they're guiding the names of the trails that they're on because it's a, like they find it offensive. Sort of awkward, yeah. It's sort of awkward, but now these people don't know how to navigate this trail network because they aren't getting told the names of the trails. Well, even just if you think about that, yeah, as like a professional, right? It's maybe even hard to avoid, but it's an awkward moment that, you know, maybe we could name it something different and it wouldn't be awkward, right? And and you also talk about a case where an Olympian uh, or, you know, someone, a professional athlete is trying to name their favorite trail, right? And it's, you have to say this on like the news. Right? Yeah, exactly. So it's, you know, they could always pick another trail, but it's sort of sad if they're trying to like honor their local trail system, right that they can't use the name of the trail exactly so yeah. i think it's a really interesting episode a lot of food for thought so if you've kind of seen this cropping up in you know in your news and your facebook groups on on your instagram or twitter uh this i think is just a really interesting kind of in-depth look at it from a bunch of different perspectives so yeah cool without further ado let's get into this conversation with ebony roberts and of course head over to consummateathlete.com for all of the show notes and links to all of the articles we've mentioned. All right, enjoy. All right, Ebony Roberts, welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm so excited you're here. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm excited as well. Yeah, so before we get into what exactly what exactly 57 hours is and, you know, what you're doing with them, um, I, you know, love getting to know the people sort of behind what what places are doing. So uh, introduce yourself. Like, what's what are you into outdoors wise? Okay, well, um, currently, I'm the managing editor at 57 hours. But I guess my first um, foray into the outdoor industry happened about five years ago or so. Um, I just um, started kind of writing, mostly writing, and then opportunities to gear test came up. And then I got a job um, gear testing for the Wire Cutter, which is the New York Times product review site on their outdoor team. And that's kind of what started it all. And then since then, I've written for REI and edited and written and that's where I am now. Okay. And so what's your, what is your athletic background? What gear were you testing? And then I'm going to have to ask for like a couple of your favorite, like <laughs> all time favorite gear recommendations. Um, well, mostly I focused on hiking and camping because that's sort of my, my main background, I guess for the last 10 years has been, that's sort of been my outdoor adventuring angle. Um, I mean, I paddleboard and hike, but I don't do anything too extreme. So I mostly focused on backpacking and camping and car camping and hiking gear so lots of hiking boots and backpacks and the best clothing layers and gps devices and that kind of thing and then before that i mean i grew up playing hockey pretty much since i could walk um, ah, the most canadian so, <laughs> yeah 
I think uh, I was that was my dad's dream to have a kid who played hockey. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I grew up. I played hockey right up until adulthood. Um, I mean, I play a little bit recreationally now, but pretty much my life was consumed by hockey for a good 10, 15 years. Oh, that's so cool that you still play recreationally. Yeah, I mean, I played all through university and played, um, yeah, just played. And now I'm a a parent, so I don't get to get out and do my adventuring as much as I did before. But I'm excited to introduce that to my little guy. Oh, how old is he? He's three. Oh, fun. That's like so first just winter starting for a to... pair of skates. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Um, okay, so I have to ask, gear-wise, I've never figured out hiking boots. Um, do you have any tips for how to break them in? Because I feel like that's the point that I've never gotten past. And you must have some kind of secret sauce if you've been, like, testing different ones. Okay, the secret sauce to hiking boots is that you really need hike proper hiking socks that is like the number one thing with hiking boots Whoa. um is like you need to invest in a pair of merino wool or synthetic hiking socks that will either make or break your foot and then in terms of breaking them in you know a lot of people buy hiking boots and then they just go hit the trail yep um they need like a good few miles of wearing them around and going up and down stairs and there's like a whole trick to fitting hiking boots and even the best pair of hiking boots might not fit your own feet mm-hmm. um so you really have to kind of find the brand that works with your foot because they all are different shapes and it's not just like the same one size fits all mm-hmm. um but then once you find your brand uh, i would say you need a little wiggle room in front of your toe you want your toes to not kind of hit the front of the boot when you're walking uphill, and then you don't want your heel to slide when you're walking downhill. So you want them to be, like, snug, not too snug. Um, but then, yeah, you need to break them in before you take them on a trail because, yeah, that can completely <laughs> ruin your trip. Yeah, yeah. That uh, that makes sense, and that's totally a thing that I would do. So, all right, perfect. I mean, um, I wear Solomon's. I find Solomon's are like pretty, pretty user friendly for everybody. Mm-hmm. They're kind of like a slip it on and go out the door. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like I've used like a Solomon. That's it's not quite like a hiking boot, but it's like a pretty built up um, trail runner. So, and I've I've always found they're they're comfy. Maybe not the lightest, fastest shoe, but they work. So, uh, so okay, because you're like a hiking, camping person, and this is a a thing that I've been kind of we've been really trying to get into uh, my husband and I as we've been, you know, working on our consummate athlete journeys, going from endurance athletes to like, okay, how can we also have fun outside, not just racing? Uh, we've we've gotten more into it. So, okay, if you're, so basically, I just want to know quickly here what your like what gear are you using like what's the stuff that you actually bring with you on a trip when you don't have anything to test like what has stayed in your closet in terms of apparel you just like hiking gear or camping gear 
like give me like your whole basic hiking like hiking and camping like is there a hiking um pack that you love is there a tent is there a sleeping bag is there a pair of pants is there a shirt just like what are your like go-to favorites that come to mind you don't have to answer all of those but just like (laughs) if there's a few favorite pieces that you absolutely love i just get really excited about this sorry (laughs) i mean i love the fall raven hiking pants and they're okay. like hiking tights. They're they're on the pricier end of what you're gonna pay for hiking tights, but they are so comfortable. They're almost like compression tights, but comfortable. Like walking, I don't know. They're they're really great, and I also wear their rain shell, um, which I love because the hood has a little um, kind of piece of metal in the front, sort of like the nose bridge on our new masks that we wear now. Mm-hmm, <laughs> the little. Mm-hmm. The little piece that kind of fits um so that um that really you can like kind of cater it to your own head to keep the rain from falling into your eyes those are my faves i mean my hiking sucks you cannot go wrong with darn tough i mean darn tough and swiftwick those are the two brands i would recommend the most um okay, darn okay. tough has a lifetime guarantee like if you wear one by one pair of hiking socks you're pretty much set for life um, Swiftwick, I just switched to this year, are incredibly comfortable and really breathable. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I've like didn't know I was going to fall in love with the technical aspects of socks so much. <laughs> but nope, I'm right um, with you. <laughs> those, are, those are my two favorite sock brands. Um, I wear my Solomon boots a lot. Oh, I like my. Um, I mean, our, our house looks like a gear shop right now, so it's kind of, <laughs> I mean, at one point, I think we had 45 pairs of hiking boots and oh, shoes my at our house to, to, to test. And actually, when I was maybe, I think I tested gear for wire cutter. I was hiking, I think, up until the day before I had my son, and we put on like 250 miles that summer um, testing hiking boots with my massive pregnant belly on the trail well it's Um, a good test right you're like if they work for this exactly (laughs) um what else oh my backpack Hmm, my day pack we use the i mean i feel i do have the fall raven day pack which i really enjoy and then i have this other one that has this what you need like the adjustable straps on your shoulders i Mm -hmm. cannot recall the name of the other one i have but it has a whole aluminum it fits onto your back with this aluminum little rack thing. And then, oh, darn, it will come to me probably. <laughs> I'll think of the name. Well, if it um, does, we'll, uh, yeah, we'll have to add it in. <laughs> I mean, I used to just like when I started out, you know, you can literally hike in anything. Totally. But you need a good pair of shoes. You need good shoes and you need good socks. And then you just need to layer. You really don't need like fancy. You know, I, I, I'm lucky that I get to try out the fanciest stuff but other than and that's actually if you're a parent you do need a good hiking carrier that's fair and my favorite is the osprey so i mean you're going to shell out like a couple hundred bucks for a nice hiking carrier but it's worth it and they're resellable and Mm -hmm. that would be something that for outdoor adventure parents that think how am i going to continue to get outdoors with my baby buy a hiking carrier that is an essential piece of gear. Yeah. Um, doubles as your day pack, carries your kid, carries everything you need. Um, 
that would be something that I would highly recommend everyone get. Nice. Um, what else do I wear? See, I love this because it's like the good, I always want to know what the people who test everything actually use. Cause I'm, I'm the same way, right? Like I get so many pairs of cycling kit and you know, all the bike stuff, but there's, there's stuff that I've had for 10 years that I keep going back to because it is the best thing that I've found. So I like yeah. it's always good to ask the person who tests a lot of stuff, like, what do you actually keep and what do you put on like once a week? Yeah, I mean, the La Sportiva, I love La Sportiva shoes as well, but those don't fit a lot of people. Um, so that's something that I always have. I mean, I pretty much live in hiking shoes because I, where we live, the weather is constantly changing and they're good for mud, rain, snow, mm-hmm. pretty much everything. So my hiking boots get a lot of use out, outside of just hiking. Mm-hmm. Um, those are sort of my go-tos, I guess. I mean, it's like a good rain shell, good boots. And the rest of it just layer up so <laughs> you can ditch layers and add layers. Yes. And it doesn't matter if it's an old hoodie from 20 years ago or a brand new tech hoodie from with a new fabric and a new thread and everything. That's all. Yeah. Oh, that's all it. nice to have, but it shouldn't be a deterrent. And I mean, that's another thing. I mean, as we're going to talk about root names and everything, everything like gear, it's all, you know, it's the accessibility to high end gear and the push to kind of always be promoting new gear and new everything, it's really like, just get outside. And mm-hmm. if you want to get outside, I mean, that's something I will say, if you do have gear lying around, please donate it to gear libraries and to organizations that could really use gear to help other people get outside. That's what we do with all of our gear. You know, we don't need 40 pairs of shoes. so. Such a good tip. Yes. I love that. Yeah. No, that's what we do with our cycling stuff. Like once a year we do kind of a clean sweep and a lot of it goes to, yeah, like local, like kids mountain bike chapters and stuff. And it's, Mm -hmm. that stuff's always going to go to good use somewhere else. And and like, that feels so much better. Mountain biking. Yeah. It's like they're mountain biking is also the, the barriers to access to do these awesome adventure sports when it comes to gear. Mm-hmm. is something that, you know, a lot of people have to break through. And anyway, if you have gear and it doesn't work for you, donate it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. Um, okay. So that gets us into where you are now with 57 hours. Okay. So what is 57 hours? Well, <laughs> give you that. Well, it's a platform for outdoor adventurers to book vetted certified outdoor guides. So we have an app, we have a website, um, guides put their profiles up, adventures go on there, they look for adventures in different locations, and they're able to book through the app or the website um, with that guide. Mm-hmm. So for guides, I mean, we feel that it offers independent guides exposure. It's another tool they can use to kind of build their careers because a lot of guides getting started I mean, it is another industry that's hard to break into, and you often have to work for a guiding service that might, you know, take a good chunk of your pay. Um, so 57 Hours is kind of bridging that connection, I guess, between adventurers and guides. That's and so it, cool. And it covers all outdoor adventure sports that are human-powered, pretty much. So mountain biking, hiking climbing backcountry skiing um 
kiteboarding, sort of anything that doesn't require motorized vehicle, we cover it. That's super cool. And okay, so the name 57 Hours, what is that referring to? (laughs) That, the name is the time, I mean, 57 Hours was started as this idea was, you know, what can you do? How can you maximize that time when you get off work at Friday at 5 p.m. to your home Sunday evening? So 57 hours is the time between Friday at 5 and Sunday at midnight that you can (laughs) get as much adventuring in as you can. I really like that. (laughs) So like kind of started for like the weekend warrior or like people who just really want to take their first foray into adventuring, maximize their time. I mean, especially something like backcountry skiing, or it's a lot of prep to go out for a weekend. Yeah. But with a guide, you just hire the guide. They do all that legwork for you. And then you show up on Saturday morning and you're good to go. Yeah. And it's so funny because we, we talk about this a lot of the time where I'm I'm a total like gear person where if I'm like, okay, I want to start downhill mountain biking, like I instantly I'm like, okay, so I'm going to need to buy a downhill bike. I'll need to get pads, a full face helmet, <laughs> uh, you know, season pass at this place. And so much of the time that is so much overkill. And really all I need to do is like go do a downhill like women's night or like get a get a guide for a day or something like that and i think a lot of people go out and like drop a ton of money on getting the gear and stuff when they haven't necessarily done the sport yet and like don't necessarily know exactly how to do it so probably worth even if it ends up being a little extra at the end of it like trying the weekend with the backcountry skier or (laughs) the ski guide and see how you like it before you're like gonna buy all my backcountry ski stuff and uh yeah, or this start out. taking avalanche courses and like yeah, yeah. It's, even me. I mean, I tried climbing for the first year this this year for the first time, and I don't think I would have done that without the a guide because it's like no. you know, I it's even daunting to think about what gear I would even get or drop money on a harness I'll probably use three times, kind of thing. <laughs> hilariously own a harness uh own climbing shoes own all of the gear totally bought it all did not use it and then we finally like booked a weekend with a guide uh, like six years ago for my birthday did it did that weekend and i was like ah, i'm not really that into climbing as it turns out so uh i have all the gear and didn't know i didn't like it that much so yeah it turns out i should have just gone for the weekend with uh the stuff provided first that would have been the smart move yeah (laughs) the other side of the coin here uh and 57 (laughs) hours also has a lot of really good content between like you know city and uh, just different place advice for doing different sports in different places um have you had any favorites that you've you've been editing recently since you are the the managing editor over there yeah i mean it's i my favorite part of the job is you know i constantly get to read these stories about adventures all over the world and all of our stories are written by actual adventures. So they're either by someone who's done the adventure, like they've gone on this trip and they've had this crazy adventure, or they're written by guides who are local and know every little facet of the area and what to expect. So it's pretty awesome to get to help people craft those stories. And I mean, you know, some of my favorites, I mean, I think like recently we did one on the hidden hidden trails of Iceland, hidden hiking trails in Iceland. Um, 
so I mean the photos are incredible it looks like the best sci-fi movie you've ever watched and it's all these trails that you hear about you know Iceland has some of the craziest trails and these ones are off the beaten path and even crazier than that mm-hmm. um so it's like that one um you know how to mountain bike and Mo- or m- mountain biking in Moab was another one recently um where the author went into great detail of every you know all these mountain bike trails what to expect where to camp where to eat where to get accommodations how to get there so I mean the content is really aimed at providing value to people who are trip planning and are going to go to these places and want to know what's all the info I need to go to go there mm-hmm. you know where am I going to stay where should I go get a beer after I accomplish my climb the important um, things yes yeah. the, the best season <laughs> Um, and so those are pretty, I mean, that's the goal is to really provide as much value as we can to someone who wants to do that adventure. And then there's also the inspiration aspect where, I mean, some of them are just epic. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, I just did one on the GR20 in Corsica and it's incredible. It's like the toughest hiking trail in Europe, arguably, um, and so just to read from a guide's perspective about, you know, he's been guiding people there for, I, I don't know how many years, but, and to see the photos and all the insider info. Um, yeah. I mean, there's, there's so many <laughs> could go on and on. Yeah. Um, yeah it's, a, it's a good way but, to build your bucket list. That's for sure. <laughs> oh, and then we also do like sort of these best of guides where they're these big sort of broader large guides that are like the best kiteboarding in the world written by someone who has kiteboarded at every single location on the on the list mm-hmm. and so it's like bucket list you know destination after bucket list destination oh, awesome. and then I mean for tips I mean those are kind of like aimed at giving an overview to the location and we don't do so many how-to articles I mean we have done you know how to winter camp which is a really great one if you're wondering like what do I need to take or how do I even begin to winter camp? And we have an article on that, but we've also started this, um, the pandemic kind of forced us to sort of shift how we were able to serve guides because I mean, pretty much overnight international travel stopped Yeah, (laughs) and everybody has these, you know, big plans to always, you know, take their adventuring elsewhere. Um, so guides are pretty much left in the lurch, you know, it's like overnight trips were just canceled. So we had to come up with a plan, like how do we keep guides connected to people? How can we still keep, keep people connected to the idea of adventuring? And we started this series called the Epic Adventure Webinar Series. And that's where like the tips really are. We have guides from all over the world put on these one hour uh, free webinars where they share their stories of places they've been. I mean, we had Dixie Dancer Core has been, he's a polar explorer who's been to the poles 40 times. Oh, wow. <laughs> and he put on a webinar about like what it takes to become a polar explorer. <laughs> like oh, how do you I train? What are the levels? How do you get started? And I mean, basically the conclusion of the webinars, everybody has what it takes to become a polar explorer. It's not this, you know, thing in your head that's completely unattainable. Um, and then we have one coming up on how to get started 
backcountry skiing. And that's by Rob Coppolillo, who's an international mountain guide, basically a guidebook author, you know, pretty, he's very established in the guide community. And he's putting on a webinar for new backcountry skiers to everything they need to know to head out this season because I think backcountry skiing is where the season is just going to absolutely take off. A hundred percent. It's funny. Right before I was on this call, I was talking to uh, another guy. You know, normally we're talking about how to train cyclists for endurance stuff in the winter and like where we can go that's warm for camping. And now we're talking about like, okay, well, how do we train them in the backyard here in Ontario? Uh, yeah. And yep, that's coming up. <laughs> so I'm like, ah, crap, I'm going to have to learn how to ski. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would recommend not getting full alpine touring kit uh off the top and maybe <laughs> handing it with a guide before you drop thousands yep. of dollars on a brand new backcountry outfit yep that's probably a smart idea yeah <laughs> <laughs> um and so i also love that while we're talking about these you know amazing far-flung destinations in you know in europe and you know talking about iceland and all of these places there's also guides on there with like kiteboarding in new york city and mm-hmm. I love that we're still talking about like, hey, even if you live in a city, even if you're kind of stuck in a city, there's still so many opportunities available. Yeah. I mean, I think this year really forced people to look in their backyard mm-hmm. to see what's out there. I mean, especially in BC, I'm sure it's the same where you are, but it's like here in British Columbia, just people that live in BC traveling this year, everyone's pretty much had to remain in province. Um, So people are discovering what BC has to offer when they probably would have gone somewhere else for their summer vacation. And it's something that, I mean, there's a guide that we work with. His name's Greg Hill. He's out of Revelstoke. He's a ski guide as well. He's, I mean, skied all over the world. He's skied 2 million vertical feet in a year. He's also... Cool. very well established in his career um he can he's now an admission admission free adventurer and we were sort of talking about this idea of a 300 mile adventure diet which is you know how far can you go on a tank of gas Ooh. especially like you know some people are really rest- i mean it's different everywhere like i'm not sure you know restrictions and travel restrictions and all that are completely different no matter where you live but um yeah greg and i were talking about this idea about like you know, look at a map, see how far 300 miles is or a tank of gas or, you know, whatever your community is sort of, you know, what's, what sort of distance makes sense and then see what you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it, it lessens your carbon footprint and your, all of that. And you're getting just as much adventure as you would if you went on this big trip and did this big, you know, once in a lifetime kind of thing. And I think it also something I just thought of right now is in terms of skills development, I mean, a lot of those other massive adventures are like, you do it once, you check it off your bucket list, but maybe you try something in your backyard. I mean, like climbing, for instance, for myself, I had a great time. Mm -hmm. So it's something that I probably never really, I would have put off and put off. And now that I had the opportunity to give it a go this summer, yeah, now I really want to go out and do it again yeah so that's sort of the thing and I mean just like yeah with the pandemic and everything it really made people sort of have to 
just look close to where you live. And then in terms of like hiking, even if you live in a city, you know, it's another, you know, accessibility to adventuring. I mean, one of our writers, Liz Thomas, she's a former Appalachian Trail, I think the speed record holder, and she's written guidebooks. And she's like, in terms of long distance through hikers, she's really made a name for herself. And she writes articles on urban hiking. And she's led these big urban hikes in LA and New York. And, you know, she wrote an article on Austin. And there's incredible hikes right in cities that people think of hiking as, you know, you need to get to the summit of a mountain and you need to go on this, you know, 10 mile slog to reach these panoramic mountain views. Mm-hmm. But I mean, through Liz's work, I've really been introduced to the idea of, you know, hiking, adventuring, outdoor adventuring doesn't necessarily have to take on that form of, you know, trees and clouds and mountains and pic- Instagram pictures. Right, right. And it can be like in the city, like she's, she plans these incredible urban hikes that are just as grueling, offer just as much history, culture, um, sightseeing, even, you know, even nature. Um, and that's all right within the city mm-hmm. and kiteboarding. I mean, yeah, you can kiteboard in Brooklyn. I, it's, you can it's so cool. Yeah. In Chicago. It's like there's outdoor adventuring is everywhere. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So we've got to, we've got to get into this. Uh, you, <laughs> there was this recent <laughs> the survey. Meat, the meat yeah. The serious business. Uh, there was this recent survey that 57 hours did about trail names. So, I mean, first of all, why do it? And then if you can just kind of briefly explain what the, what the survey was and what the results were, that would be awesome. Sure. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, it's been a hotly debated topic for a while about certain trail names, climbing route names, you know, hiking trail, mountain biking, skiing route names, um, being derogatory, offensive, sexist, racist. Um, And it's been, there's been a lot of chatter for a while, but I feel like this year really has made people open their eyes to issues that were not on their radar before. Mm -hmm. And we saw, I mean, you know, just through, like, I saw it coming up all the time, and especially in Squamish, um, you know, there's there's some pretty insane names for climbers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so we, you know, we, we did a survey earlier on COVID-19 and just, like, its impacts on guides so we could see how we could serve them. And with this, we just wanted to see, like, what are guides, what do guides think about this? What sort of stance do they take? And does it impact their business? You know, does it impact the way that they, where they take clients, um, the sort of places they choose, and just kind of wanted to get that perspective and sort of be a voice for that segment of the outdoor population. It's so see. interesting. I hadn't even thought about that with like what, gu- like where guides would potentially take people, but that totally makes sense. Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing, I mean, just to, like, jump into one survey result was that, I mean, overwhelmingly, the the results were that people encounter, I think it was over 90% have encountered what they consider to be racist, derogatory, offensive, you know, it's kind of like I'm using that as any sort of name that should be flagged. Um, 
I mean, that response was overwhelming. Like, those names exist, and, you know, I don't think there was hardly anyone who responded that they'd never encountered one. Right. Um, But then it's, it's, you know, when, when guides take their clients, one of the things I was really interested to find out from the survey was, what do you do when you come up to a root name like that? And mm-hmm. most guides say that they didn't avoid the root, but they did change the name. So they're just telling, they're not going to mention the name. Right. And they're not going to, you know, if you're taking a family or you're taking someone who the name is obviously targeting, you're not going to tell, like, you know. But then yeah, that 100%. Up, it just brings up so many interesting questions about, like, you know, I don't know. I'm a mother of a toddler, so I think things like you shouldn't have to lie to, you know, not hurt somebody's feelings. Mm-hmm. You know, you shouldn't have to like, and who is that lie serving? And who does not moving the needle on this issue protect? And whose experience does it um, sort of, you know, give value to? And that's why I think this kind of debate is really important in the outdoor world mm-hmm. is because I mean a lot of people think the outdoors are inclusive because they're outdoors right. <laughs> and anybody can go outdoors but it they're not and it's full stop the outdoor space is not inclusive to everybody mm-hmm. and I mean also the the survey did show and like the results and I mean if you go on any kind of online forum which I mean, take it with a grain of salt, but the comments are always, the debate on this, especially root names, is very, very heated. Yeah. With a lot of people really not wanting to see any kind of change. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a bit disheartening as someone who works in the outdoor industry. And I mean, you know, like I mentioned, I grew up playing hockey and everything, and it's like outdoor climbing world i'm sure like i don't know much about the mountain biking community but it's a boys club 100 yeah it's sort of like suck it up um laugh it off like we didn't mean to we're not we didn't mean to hurt your feelings or we didn't mean to like have this impact you in a negative way um that wasn't our intent but the intent the impact is that it does right exactly you know yeah that's something that I mean I just wanted I mean what we kind of glean from the survey is that most guides and not all guides and I don't mean to talk for all guides or even the guide community but just the respondents of this survey said we're all pretty much leaning towards I mean I think 75% said these these names should be changed Mm -hmm. Um, so you know the guide community is on from responses on that side of the debate pretty much is that change should be taking place yeah well and i mean if you're if you're thinking about kind of like family yeah family friendly and like even the value that a guide can provide if you can't tell Mm -hmm. the people the root name then they can't go find that root again later yeah so you're missing out on this like information piece that you you know if you don't feel comfortable sharing like this is the name mm-hmm. of the trail so like here's you can find it on the map next time you want to do this one uh that's a disservice right like that's 
mm-hmm. you're like missing out on yeah. that and that's that's thanks it's a disservice to the sport and it's a disservice to the people who want to partake in that sport mm-hmm. um you know and i think it's important for like anyone outdoor industry not an outdoor in- industry just at large to kind of sit back and think like who is especially with the names the names themselves you know it just kind of one guide in the survey put it that um you know it's they're not deterred from entering the sport but when you see something like this it's just a subtle reminder on top of a lot of subtle reminders that you don't really belong yes and, exactly i mean that one i like just the way that they wrote it you know it's that's sad mm-hmm. that yeah yeah um so that sucks um <laughs> now do you uh, did anything kind of point to like the tide turning on that and like root names getting changed had any guides noticed that happening like is there is there any like optimistic future happening here oh definitely yes i mean <laughs> what you see is like the people pushing back are the ones that have had it good for a long time and the people that are on the other side i mean what I've seen is that there's a lot of people taking the work on. Mm-hmm. I've spoke with some people. Um, there's a lot of organizations that are out there, like, really making the changes. Um, and it's, you know, <laughs> what I see is, like, a lot of the labor being put in is by women. It's by, you know, gender nonconforming people, black people, indigenous people, people of color who are out there doing the work. And that, I think, needs to change. I mean, mm-hmm. to add labor on, to, like, make it your you know it's like because it's impacting a certain segment of the population now it's their job to go out and make those changes that they're you know that i would like to hopefully see and i do see that there are changes and there's people you know putting in the work outside of those groups but that's one thing it's like you know people are cleaning it up for themselves where it would be nice if I mean, the issue, it's, it's such a funny, I mean, the time right now, you know, it's like people are taking very hard line stances on certain issues mm-hmm. and hopefully people's eyes will be open to the fact that these names have to go. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, I mean, there's, yeah, I, I do see a lot of positive changes on the horizon. Um, and I have also seen posts from you know white male climbers for instance who are taking it upon themselves who've looked at their root names and who have taken a look at the impact of the root names and have gone about it themselves to just change those names and from what i've talked to other people who are out there contacting root namers um you know generally it's a lot of positive response and people nobody you know a lot of people don't they're very amenable to just changing the name um, right. But then there's also that segment who just sees this as a, um, you know, a, a disrespect to the sport or a why bother or this is an important focus on other things. But I mean, it all works together to, you know, it's it's part of a, it 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 does play a part in a much larger picture. Yeah, yeah. So. 
I think the the maybe like call to action, I guess, for anyone who's listening to this is, I guess, if you have seen a trail name that has made you uncomfortable or that you think could make someone uncomfortable, it's probably what contacting whoever owns the trails and kind of starting that conversation or like, what what do you think as far as like next steps? I know. I mean, yeah, I know like for our role is kind of awareness. Like we want people to be aware that this is the issue and to start thinking about it for themselves. And if you do encounter it, there are definitely, um, I mean, Mountain Project has a flagging option on it where you can flag a discriminatory root name. That is a whole, I urge people to also look up the origins of the flagging um, feature because that is also a contentious topic um, about the development of that flagging feature and who put in the work to make that feature available and what was done um, in terms of that. Um, But also if you don't see it, and this is the first time that maybe you're hearing about something like this, or you really want to understand the issue, I I urge people to diversify their social media feeds. I mean, make your feed look not like you. And I mean, if I, I could shout out like a few, like there's Brown Girls Climb, Color the Trails is an incredible organization in Canada. Melanin Base Camp, Indigenous Women Hike. I mean, there's a lot of organizations out there that if you follow them and you start to see posts and you, you'll you gain the subtleties of the issue and you'll, I mean, because I, I mean, even right now, I don't, I'm not a climber and I really don't, you know, these are, my my role right now, I think, is to, I mean, everybody's role is to listen. I mean, sit back and listen to someone who it affects and don't attempt to form your opinion based on your experience if your experience isn't one that's been impacted in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I would just, like, diversify your feed and also be vocal. And that's something that I, I mean, I found myself having a hard time this year because when you put yourself out there like that, especially on social media or whatever, even in talking with the kind of community that you're part of, I mean, especially on social media, the backlash is something that I've just had to come to terms with facing. I mean, the people on the what on the other side of this issue are incredibly vocal. Mm-hmm. And I feel like they use their words to intimidate people, to try to make it seem like a joke to really sort of force people into silence in a way where, especially, you know, if you're like, to speak up is, is really hard for a lot of people. Um, Because, you know, it is, you're making yourself available to the other person's opinion. But I think it's time for everyone to, I mean, you know, just go for it. Like if you, if you see something, if you see something, say something. Yes. Like pretty, pretty, um, a simple, pretty simple, actually, when it all boils down to it, mm-hmm. I would, but yeah, that's kind of like flag things, make people aware, just, yeah. And then, yeah, start to really read and listen and take on the ideas of the communities that are impacted by the root names, you know, exclusion, 
all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, awesome. I feel that like is... it's, it's such a, like, yeah, there's so many intricacies to it, and I don't feel like I just did it a service to in my explanation, but it's like, basically, shut up and listen, and then once you feel like you have are in a position to to say something, say it. And you know what? You'll probably make mistakes. Mm-hmm. And you probably use the wrong words. I'm sure I've used some wrong words today. But, you know, you have to be willing to make mistakes for what you think is right. Yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm so glad that these conversations are, are happening. And yeah, even if it even if it is kind of messy and it's like hard to mm-hmm. uh, put into perfect language and words and or yeah, it's it's a difficult topic and I'm I'm glad that we're having this chat now and I'm hoping that you know everyone listening because you know I can I can name local roots that I can think of that I'm like, "Yep, that's that's probably mm-hmm. not great and we should probably work on that." And you know, this is sort of my yeah. call to action here. So, yeah, hopefully people listening and feel I mean, the same way. <laughs> yeah, and I mean some of them are, you know, they're borderline. It's like, "Oh, I don't know if that one counts." And then there is some that are you're just like, how did this just, ever? Why? Why did we even put this on a sign? Like, who? Who? Who made this sign? Yeah, like somebody, somebody named it. Somebody made the sign. Somebody put the sign on the ground, and then hundreds of people have read the sign and have been okay with it. And yeah. I mean, where did this issue arise? I mean, it just shows that like the outdoors have been for a certain segment of the population for a long time. Yes. And now that the tides are turning. Um, something like root names and trail names they need to turn to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, some people might be listening and thinking that that's a small thing, but again, it comes back to those, those little subtle ways that, you know, more and more Mm -hmm. people can feel like outdoors is for them. And one way is not feeling like a root name is directly insulting something about them. Mm -hmm. And especially, (laughs) yeah. And some of them are, and I mean, there is big changes happening. I mean, I think there's like some, a, a resort, a ski resort is changing its name next year. Um, you know, in Alberta and Canmore, they just renamed a mountain that was derogatory. Um, and I know in Squamish, like there's some, some root names have already been changed. Um, thanks to some women who are out there putting in the work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yes. So it is happening. It is happening. And, yeah. But then, I mean, I just saw an article come out on Gript about some changes in root names. And I was like, wow, that's really exciting. Great. And then I clicked on the link and then I read the comments. <laughs> I'm like, wow, no. mad. People are mad. <laughs> but there's a lot of people that aren't mad and see it. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The reading the I comments mean, guy, in 2020 yeah. has been rough. <laughs> I mean, one guy put it like they don't actually tell um, their clients. They tell their clients the real name and they explain it like it's a Confederate statue and the history of the sport and where the sport's going. And they kind of use that as a teaching opportunity to like tell that the clients, you know, where the name came from and sort of they're kind of likening it to that sort of thing where there is history there and some of the history is worth explaining. Um, so some guides are taking that route as well and using it as a teaching opportunity, but I feel like most guides are not, I mean, who, you're taking a family out, you're not going to say it. I mean, who would? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. 
Oh, amazing. Okay, I could talk to you about this like all day, but um, I should probably let you get back to your day. Uh, so, okay, where can everyone find 57 hours and just kind of keep up with all of this fun stuff and maybe plan their next adventure? 57hours.com. Nice and easy. Um, yeah, and then there's, we have an app, 57 Hours. Um, you can find us on Instagram at um, 57hours underscore app. Um, is where you can follow our social posts. Um, yeah, that's pretty much what we use. Oh, Facebook, we're on Facebook as well. Perfect. But um, if anyone is really interested in backcountry skiing, um, we are, I would recommend, I mean, the webinars, if you're like, want to get into sports and be inspired and everything, those um, have been really awesome. So awesome. I would keep an eye out for those if you want a free education session on different sports and different places. Oh, amazing. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. It was super fun chatting with you from, from hiking shoes to root names. It's, this was a broad spanning episode. I love it. <laughs> Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode or any of our past episodes, please do us a huge favor. Leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps us bring on, you know, great new guests and yeah, we'd also love to hear from you. You can find us on the interwebs um, at consummateathlete.com, at consummateathlete on Instagram. Uh, and I am at Molly J. Herford on Instagram and Twitter. And Peter is at Peter Glassford. Thank you so much for tuning in. And we will see you next week. Wow. What an episode. That was amazing. When that one person said that thing and then the other person totally like Set them straight. Oh, man, that was great. I'm going to have to go back and listen to that again. But hey, since I have your attention now, hello, cyclocross friends, new friends and old friends and soon to be friends. My name's Bill. I host a, another show on the Wide Angle Podium Podcast Network. It's called Cyclocross Radio, and we talk to the biggest stars in cyclocross and even the medium stars in cyclocross and some of the soon-to-be stars in cyclocross. We also have a panel discussion we call the Media Pit with my buddy Zach and Michael where we go over all of the new rules that might be coming out and the calendar situations and races that happen. It's a great time. It's a great conversation. We built an amazing community that we want you to be part of. So go to wideanglepodium.com Become a member there, then go to your favorite podcast app and subscribe to Cyclocross Radio. Do it! Do it now! Cyclocross friends.